Hello all and welcome back to another episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. My name is Jennifer Hahn. And I'm Sarah Callen. And the Strategic Whimsy Experiment is a weekly gathering place filled with conversations about the films that shape our lives. Today we are going to be reviewing the film The White Tiger. So Sarah, do you want to kick us off with an IMDb summary? Yes. An ambitious Indian driver uses his wit and cunning to escape from poverty and rise to the top. An epic journey based on the New York Times bestseller. All right. So in Strategic Whimsy Experiment tradition, we always start off with our one-sentence summaries for The White Tiger. So Sarah, what was your summary for this film? My summary is not my best work, but it's <laughs> fine. Uh, my summary is a stylish indictment of India's caste system. Nice. Yeah. You know, straightforward to the point. I like it. All right. Mine is the golden combination strikes again, scathing social commentary enrobed in an entertaining premise. Enrobed. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Originally had that as delivered. In an oh. entertaining premise, and I was like, oh, you know what? Here's an opportunity to use a word that just sounds <laughs> fantastic. <laughs> well, it's done. usually the word that's used to describe like chocolate truffles. <laughs> it's always like, oh, like an almond filling and robed in dark chocolate. And I just, it fit, it fit yeah. for this scenario. Well done. That, that's some great <laughs> word choice. All right. So, what were your initial thoughts of The White Tiger? You know, I feel conflicted about the white tiger. Um, okay, let's unpack that. I uh, <laughs> um, I loved the first half of it. I was in. I was engaged. My eyes were glued to the screen. Second half, totally checked out. It was very, very hard for me to pay attention during the second half of the film. Um, Interesting. Yeah. Uh, and so I like a lot of what it it does. I liked how stylized it was. I really love that we have a film that takes place in a Middle Eastern country that has nothing to do with terrorism. So I think that that is a huge win just in and of itself. And I love like seeing, you know, a little bit more about the Indian culture. Cause I feel like, you know, here in America, we usually get like, Oh, India is so pretty and wonderful, which it is. But there's also, like, this bad side to it. So, like, I love that. But the story, the second half of the story just didn't work for me. And so I really, I really, really struggled to get through the film, even though I feel like it does a lot of things well. So, I don't know. I, for me, this is kind of a mixed bag. That's always an interesting combination, too, when, mm -hmm. like, objectively or intellectually, like, yes, what the film does, um, you can appreciate, but yeah. when you find it hard to get through it, like, something, you know, just didn't resonate or connect or continue to keep up its momentum. That's fascinating. Mm -hmm. We should unpack that more. Yeah. <laughs> so many things happen in the second half, too. So I'm, I know. I'm intrigued for, for um, what your experience was with that. Yeah. So what did you think of uh, The White Tiger? Yeah, I I think I, I appreciated this film. Um, I think it, it's definitely not like uh, mind-blowing or on my list of like favorites, but I appreciate what the film does. It has a, a message that it's clearly wanting to deliver, and it does so in a way that is um, engaging and stylized is a great word that you used as well. Um, and all of the the filmmaking pieces and components work very well. The characters were dynamic and fascinating to follow. So I, I overall appreciated what this film does and I think it delivers it in a, in an interesting way. So I had a, a good time watching this film. Um, I, I found that I was curious how they would continue to um, play out the story, especially with the way that it flashes back and forth in time. Um, I'm curious if that worked for you or not, which I'm sure we'll get to. So I think it added some interesting bits of, of tension and, um, curiosity for me. And, um, there's lots of little details that I think this film does that we can, we can dive into as well. So overall, I think it was, it was effective and yeah, pretty solid. Yeah. Good. 
<laughs> I, okay. I'm half agree with that. I don't know. We'll see how I feel by the end of this episode. It could entirely change, but I think I think that there are a lot of really solid complaints, especially the the characters. Very solid, very interesting, very dynamic. And like yeah. the performances too were so good. I think uh some elements of the maybe the the writing didn't work for me. I don't know. Mm-hmm. We we can get into it. <laughs> yeah, I'm intrigued if it's execution or if it's the meat and potatoes of a plot points itself. Both. Um, both. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I think this film is one that um may not be the most memorable for me, right? Like I I I don't imagine that this is going to be a film that several years from now I think back to and like really made a big impact on me the way that some of the other films that we've been getting to experience have been recently. And so, you know, I I bet that if we were watching this film in the middle of the summer blockbuster season, like this would have felt incredible, but, um, you know, it's, it's pretty solid, pretty solid. Mm, Yeah. That's a good point. Like, especially after watching so many Oscar nominees back to back to back to back to back. Yeah. You know, that's, that's a good point that I hadn't considered. I think the other thing that uh, was top of mind for me a lot while experiencing this film, which, you know, I I just couldn't help but make the comparison as to a lot of the themes from Parasite, um, mm-hmm. a lot of the message of this film, the the specific, like, thematic points that it's trying to make are, are very similar. And so um, I had that in, in the back of my mind a lot while experiencing this film, um, which maybe was unfair to the full, like, experience of the film but just couldn't help but make a lot of this comparison because thematically they're so so similar yeah yeah that was on my mind as well and so like you said it was probably an unfair comparison because parasite is so like yeah it's it's almost perfect you know um the white tiger is good um it's a very clear narrative very clear like strong bold creative choices but it's not the level of perfection that parasite Mm -hmm. is yeah and it was actually interesting to to kind of compare them and contrast them on like things that i felt parasite did really well that if this film had done more of could have could have really made this more of an impactful experience one of the ones that was really top of mind was um the fact that the white tiger kind of is is embedding a lot of the the emotional moments with the character, uh, but they're interspersed uh, with a lot of the the other just like um, more plot and action moments, or kind of more of the those stylized moments. And so I felt like there were fewer moments where we could really like sit with the emotions of a character in a moment and have enough time to to really feel that before that moment was over and we had moved on. And I think one of the things that Parasite does really well is it it tonally is switching back and forth between a really character heavy moment where we you know are experiencing the fallout or the frustration or the pain with a character and we have enough time to sit with that. And then it kind of has these other scenes that are meant to be played for entertainment or action or humor or to move the plot forward, like the peach montage scene, um, where we are just like purely relishing in the the kind of the fun and the romp of it all. And I think the White Tiger kind of consistently mixes those two together. And for whatever reason, it it, it I felt like there were a lot of like really like beautiful moments that we get with um, Barlam's character, really emotional ones, but they're so short and fleeting that I felt like um, I didn't have time to have that emotion like develop fully enough uh, or for me as a viewer to, to like have time to, to, to sit in that before the next plot point was along and we were like thrown into the next next sequence of events. Yeah, I, I think I think pacing was definitely like one of the things that I had an issue with. I do think that the white tiger is probably like 20 minutes too long. Um, whereas like parasite is so tight, like that is exactly the length that it needs Mm -hmm. to be. Um, I also think with the white tiger, um, 
the thing that I loved about the first half is how strong um, Balram's voice is and his narration over everything. So strong, so confident, like kind of cynical and sarcastic. And so that type of humor just is something that I enjoy. And in the second half, we get less of that. It's, we do get his narration, but it's, I don't know, there's a different tone to it almost. And we start the film with like knowing that he's made something of himself. Whereas in Parasite, we don't know that. We don't ever know what happens to this family. And I think that that is almost part of what makes us empathize with the family even more because we're just in this situation with them. Whereas in The White Tiger, mm, we know that something happens with Balram and he he gets money and he's pulled himself out of this, you know, station that he was born into, into a different class. And then we're just flashing back to see how that happened. And I think they did it effectively. I think the flashbacks were interesting. And I, I kind of love that it's this whole like cynical email that he's writing to this world leader. Like it just shows his hubris as a character to go like, yeah, I'm going to email the prime minister of China and engage in a conversation with him. Like, so it just, it's so good at like showing you who this (laughs) character is. But I think that also made me struggle maybe a little bit more to empathize with him, um, especially in the second half of the film. Like I was very like torn internally about his character where I I wasn't necessarily as torn in the first half. And it's interesting, like in Parasite, I didn't really feel that tension with the characters, even though some of the plot points between the two movies are are similar. So I don't know. I I think, again, like The White Tiger does a lot of things well. It just didn't always work for me. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, the the voiceover set piece um, to this film and framing is it's really interesting. It adds so much and it's something mm-hmm. that typically doesn't work. I was thinking yeah. so much about our conversation uh, discussing Sherry and how much mm. that voiceover just <laughs> was a total like gimmicky uh, flop in that film and why it works so well in this film. And both – I believe Cherry is also adapted from a, a – memoir as well and this this film is is too adopted adapted from um a novel and so both of them are trying to weave in uh the kind of the voice and the uh characterization of of its narrator and this film does a far better job at executing that um and it's a it's a prime example of where voiceover actually does add to uh the experience of the film Whereas in most cases, it just takes away and it feels super explainy and um, just too literal. And so, you know, a rare example of when voiceover actually works. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And it, it, it not only explains who Balram is, but it also gives us, you know, a, an American audience or a Western audience an inside look into what it feels like to be born into this Indian caste system. So it's just, it's very, very brilliant the way that they do it. We we get so much information packed into just his tone and his word choice and all of that. So it's just, it's great. Like this is how you do a voiceover. Yay, somebody figured it out and did it right, finally. <laughs> I think what also helps um, this this use of voiceover is that the words him, the, that are being spoken carry such weight and are so like packed with meaning. Um, there are some, some lines that, that he says in the voiceover that still I, I can, I'm thinking about and um, all of the implications of some of his words are so powerful as just social commentary on like wealth inequality in general across any type of system. Um, and, you know, contrasting that with Sherry and some of the other voiceovers that we've experienced in film where they just, they, 
they don't carry that same level of weight and they're also not written as well as this voiceover was. So that in of itself um, was a value add that most films aren't able to execute well on. Mm-hmm. And I, I think for me, like his his narration was, and even just the the idea that this whole story that we're in, he's typing in an email to send to the leader of China. Like just that whole setup was really, really interesting to me. And that made me want to engage with this film even more. Um, so that's just another brilliant way that like, especially with streaming services, you know, you need to start your film in such a way that like people won't click away after the first, I don't know, 60 seconds or the first 90 seconds. And I feel like this film, for me, the the first half was by far the best, which I'm like, yeah, that's good job, Netflix. Like you did something right and created something that would keep somebody streaming um, your movie as opposed to Cherry, which started with like the worst stuff at the beginning of the film. So yeah, good movie for streaming, I would say. Which just makes me so curious about all of the analytics that go into mm, uh, right the streaming platforms and how they evaluate whether content was uh, worth it or successful or not. Like, is it when a you know the majority of users make it through halfway? Is there evidence to support that if they make it through like the halfway mark that they will just inevitably continue to most finish watching? All of that is fascinating, but data that we don't have access to, unfortunately. Yeah, we'll never know the answers to those questions. (laughs) That's okay. But it is interesting to think about um, how that changes the way that films are structured and created. Um, You know, the same way that when HBO um, launched its platform and removed a lot of the like ads that were interspersed at the like 15 minute mark um, of every film, uh, of every film or television show that changes the way the storytelling structure can happen. And I, it's, it'll be fascinating to see if there are um, potential implications that happen now that we are moving more and more towards streaming. This is a very long tangent, but it's a good topic. <laughs> okay, so we can get back to the white tiger now. Yeah. We don't have to talk about <laughs> analytics and streaming. <laughs> So we could geek out that for on that for 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 a long time. <laughs> yes. Okay. So why don't we include a little spoiler alert? If you haven't seen The White Tiger, we recommend checking it out. It's available on Netflix, and uh, we'll have full reign. Okay. So let's talk about the second half of this film. Um, what are your hypotheses or theories, or perhaps you already know, on uh, why the second half didn't? work as well for you yeah I'm still I'm still trying to figure that out I think (laughs) part of it is um there there was almost like a shift in tone in in narration like I feel like the first half of the film is very very strong with Balram you know narrating what's going on the second half it, it almost felt like we were in his internal monologue rather than you know, this like sarcastic tone that we had throughout the entire film. Um, I think also like the first half to me was like pretty tight and, you know, just thing after thing after thing was happening. And so like, I was happy to be along for this ride with them. And then once um, Pinky leaves, the entire film Mm -hmm. kind of changes abruptly which, I mean, I guess, like, that was, like, a huge blow in um, Ashok's life. But I just, I really struggled to engage after that, especially because we had already set up the dynamics between Pinky, Ashok, and um, Balram. And then when we removed Pinky, their relationship got really, really weird, and I just wasn't sure what to, to do with it anymore. Um And there were just moments with the characters that I was like, I don't think that we need this. Like, if I were going to cut 20 minutes from the film, it would probably be in the second Mm -hmm. half. So (laughs) I I think the the scenes where where (laughs) he's taking him out and taking care of him while he's drunk and showing him the street food, all that stuff. Uh, I uh, some of that I would probably just do it differently. I maybe Mm -hmm. would make those go quicker. Mm-hmm. Like we spent a lot of time 
with them just kind of bonding. Um, I don't, I don't know. So like, it was weird. And then like, whenever Ashok's brother was there, then Ashok would like revert back and really, really mistreat Belram. So you see this almost like Jekyll and Hyde with this character, which was kind of interesting, but I feel like the film doesn't really like address it. So it doesn't even lean into the most interesting part of their dynamic. And yeah, and then like I just really struggled also with Balram, like when he finally like killed him. I mm-hmm. I had to keep reminding myself like he is doing this because he literally has no other option. And the film does a good job setting that up. But the whole time I was just like wow, like that is just pure greed that's motivating that. And so even though the film had been so strategic to like, he has no choice. This is his only option. Like it's his only way out. All I thought of was like, you are killing this man out of greed and out of selfishness and you don't care that you're taking his life. So like, I I didn't have empathy for Balram that I maybe had earlier in the film Mm-hmm. I don't know, somewhere along the way that just, it didn't quite work for me because I don't think I was feeling for this character what I was supposed to. Um, and I'm not sure at exactly like what point that all fell apart, but I just know like first half of the film, eyes glued to the screen. Second half of the film, I kept like reaching for my phone and then I was like, oh no, you're supposed to be paying attention to this. Actually watch this movie. So I don't know. Those are just some of my thoughts about the second half. I also wonder if um, the fact that th- there's a dis- there's a scene, there's a small moment where he's writing his little email and he says something along the lines of, this next part of my story takes a darker turn. And we see the, the wanted poster with his name on it and or his, or his face on it. And um, it says he's wanted for murder. Does that take away from the dramatic tension of... of knowing like how is this really going to end um because that I feel like gives a lot away and so the second half of the film like I I knew that he was gonna do something and and there's kind of this this sense that there's some like violence that's going to occur um and so it was just a matter of like okay what is he gonna do and how is he gonna do it versus truly seeing that slowly unfold as he begins to really contemplate this act that he's about to do. Like, did that take away for you or contribute to it? Um, or is it some combination of other things that you've, you've mentioned? You know, I don't think that it was the, the wanted picture. Cause I think that that was actually a really brilliant plot device because when Pinky hits the, the kid, um, you know, you think, Oh, that's, why he was wanted for murder and then like the whole bit with like the family like so I think that that was a really brilliant kind of like misdirection um and so yeah I didn't I didn't have an issue with that I thought that that was well placed and even well timed within the story yeah interesting because I I loved that it was kind of this head fake as well but the minute that 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 is re- is like resolved where he signs the confession and it, it's it's seemingly that um that is no longer an open case or whatnot and he begins to realize that he has no other options for his future it it's begins to dawn on me oh this is not going to end well they they're focusing a lot on this red bag like that's where a lot of the um the pace of the plot points pick up, but the the amount of curiosity about how and what um, this this movie is going to take us to next begins to fade a little bit, and it's more of just like, okay, we know what's going to happen. How how is it going to happen now? And that's the primary curiosity, at least that I had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So so probably those moments where he's just like driving around and like obsessing about the red bag. You know, that probably could have been done more quickly. I think there's a lot in the second half that could have been condensed um, since we already know, you know, what's going to happen next. He's going to murder somebody and uh, the person he's closest to is his boss. So when's he going to do it? Just get it over with. 
um, yeah, that probably could have been done a little bit differently. And we also kind of see the the growing resentment that is is building up within him as he um, is mistreated, and you know the progression of that, the way he receives, you know those those acts and the mistreatment that he experiences in the beginning of the film and the way that he experiences them in the last like 20 minutes of film um, are vastly different. And we see that that has compounded to fuel this like growing, like burning resentment that he has in him. Um, And it's interesting. I mean, I I hate to keep comparing this film to Parasite, but in a lot of ways they're so similar that it's, it is interesting to put them in conversation with each other because the the ending of Parasite also uh, is incredibly violent. And uh, the act that is done by Mr. Kim is done in a way that I think uh, helps us understand why he does that. There's never a period of time where he is, he is contemplating um, – this this incredibly violent deed the person he kills is not the um the the very rich father mr park but it's the the man in the basement who has just who he's seen just kill his daughter and so oh actually no he does kill the he does kill mr park he stabs him mm-hmm. yeah. um but that's after he's seen his daughter get stabbed by um the guy in the basement but it there's never a point where he is consistently contemplating that act in the same way that Balram is. So I can, I think I can understand um, why it was hard to really be on board and empathize with Balram as he um, really plots and takes a lot of time to plan out what he's going to do and how he's going to kill Ashok. Yeah. So maybe that was, that's just my own little like moral hang up that I had. and I, I, yeah, in, in most movies, like, I'm not good in movies where the main character is plotting an act of violence or, you know, trying to, like, plan to murder somebody else. Like, I don't, I don't root for those characters in movies. Just no. So I think that that was hard. And uh, while you were talking, it occurred to me that in Parasite... There's also not this, um, for lack of a better term, like like preaching about this is the best way of life um, mm-hmm. or like, look at what I did. I'm so great. And like, we really, really get that by the end of the film from Balram and like just his, his arrogance at like, look at what I did. Um, and like being proud that he murdered this guy and stole a bunch of money and then like created in a, his own business. Like, I don't know. There's that, there's that, it, it almost feels like, like preaching a way of life and we don't get that in Parasite. Instead, it's just, we're just going to go through this story with them as opposed to Balram and the White Tiger is saying, this is this is what you got to do if you want to be successful. Which, uh, after Parasite, like, I was really, really thinking about, like, you know, classism and, and, and how, you know, different aspects of the society interact with each other. And I was really, really thinking, like, these, like, macro themes. And I didn't come away with that from The White Tiger. Um, when this is a perfect opportunity and there are so many like macro themes and, um, you know, even like globalization is talked about in the white tiger. So there are these big concepts that happen that I really, really should have been thinking of by the end, but instead I was just going, man, I just, I can't root for you even though I'm supposed to. It's really interesting. Um, I, I'm thinking about the, one of the the articles that I read about this film after after finishing it, and it was I think it was on NPR, and it was um, interviews with with people who have born were born into poverty in India and and their thoughts about this film. Obviously, that's a pool of people that has likely have likely been born into poverty, but have uh, made it some way if they're being interviewed by NPR. Um, but there 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 were a lot of folks that. Um, shared your, your same perspectives, which was uh, that 
this feels like a, a celebration of, um, of, of a complex morality that they fundamentally disagreed with and that there's actually a, a, a more moral way to, to really change your circumstances that are more focused on, on discipline and hard work and really taking like many, many years and saving up money. There was a story of a woman who wanted to be a designer and she spent so many years saving up money so that she could go to school and earn her degree and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then there were others that really appreciated how much this film portrayed the the feeling of hopelessness um, that those in poverty really experience and how much that that resonated. And so I wonder if this is like a a a dramatized version of how much um, those that are born in poverty truly feel like they have no no other options because a lot of I think, Ram's final motivation for for going this route and taking these extreme measures is a lot of like the conversations that he has right before he does this. I mean, obviously this doesn't condone what he does, but it I think it helps a little bit to give this character um, motivation for going this extreme. So he talks to um, one of the guys that is also a, a worker. And he's, he asks him like, what is, what is the next step? Or like, what, what is my fate? Or what is, what is the ultimate future best case scenario? And for him, it's like living in a shack and being able to save enough. If you're lucky to buy a shack to live in for the rest of your life, he receives the letter from his grandmother who, um, says that she's going to send a girl if, if he doesn't continue to send money home and just going to like drop off this, his wife for him. Um, and so he really feels like he has no other options. Um, I think it, it doesn't make what he does, uh, forgivable or, or, or totally understandable, but it's, it's a, this, this film is like this really dramatized version to, to showcase the hopelessness. And then, um, like this guy has this level of tenacity that as he also talks about um, as the white tiger is, is not common. And for most people, they stay in the the metaphorical rooster coop. Um, so I think this film does a good job of, of portraying the sense of hopelessness, though I can see how through this character, it, it takes a very extreme, it shows a very extreme way of, of uh, responding to that hopelessness. Yeah. It, it does do a really good job at that. And, and like while watching, I had to keep reminding myself of that, like, like remember mm-hmm. his situation. So like, I wasn't, I guess, sucked into this world, maybe the way that I, I needed to be for the story to work. Um, like I, I, and maybe that's just the, one of the issues with a story like this, cause this, I feel like this movie is um, a way for American audiences to like better understand India um, or aspects of India. Mm -hmm. And at least for me, like it was hard for me to drop my American context and Mm. fully enter into Balram's context. Um, So I'm still thinking like, no, there's got to be a better way. Like murder is not the way Mm -hmm. to pull yourself up out of this. So even though the film did clearly lay the groundwork and I mean, it did a good job setting up him getting to that point, it just didn't land with me. And so I I think I was just bringing too much of me maybe to the film. Um, Yeah. I don't know. Well, actually you, you bring up an interesting point. Um, around the framing of what he does and you know this kind of uh um hubris and and this kind of uh um kind of celebration of of his tenacity that he's he's detailing in this email like if this film's objective was to portray the hopelessness that people in poverty feel and um kind of show how if you want to change your circumstances, 
there are, are so few options and here's here's something that one one man has chosen to do. Perhaps removing some of that framing device, though it, it contributed a lot to like the fun and the humor and whatnot of this of this film, but removing that framing device would have helped make um that message maybe land a little bit clearer because it's not as much enrobed <laughs> uh in the like moral complexity that that is so much a part of what this film um has at the at the end at the end right like a lot of what he does um has elements that we can relate to that we can be on board with in times of desperation like for pure survival there are things that people do that are sometimes horrific but when we can understand their circumstances um it, it makes it a little bit more understandable. And then for this film to layer upon that, this like very uh, sly, punchy email that he writes at the end kind of um, takes away potentially of that message and adds too much to that complex morality that is harder to digest. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. I I think it's also just hard um, because like that kind of like sarcastic cynical tone is something that like a lot of audiences really like like I like that tone like yeah. that's super intriguing so I I think I think some of the problems might just be the type of movie this is and it's trying to balance like you were saying it's trying to balance a few things at the same time that aren't always in sync with each other and sometimes mm-hmm. almost oppose each other. Um, and and both are interesting, but they don't fully work as one unit, I don't think. Mm. I don't know. I could also be, like, way overthinking this movie, so I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> but it's interesting. It's interesting to unpack that because uh, – I mean that's that's kind of the the fun of of experiencing a film like this is to pick apart all of those competing uh feelings that we have both you know our sense of morality and and justice and whatnot but also this like empathy for a character and and like the hopelessness and desperation that this character has and then how those two things can um be together but they don't really mix well together and like all of the complexities of that is is fun to pick apart and try and isolate Mm -hmm. and you know life is super complex and we as human people are also very complex and we have competing things existing within our own person uh that often don't make sense so i don't know it's kind of hard to like wrestle with that tension sometimes though Mm -hmm. I don't know and we don't expect it from movies all the time either so I think there's also that like expectation of this will be like nice and polished and like one thing Mm -hmm. and this movie isn't and I don't know that that that's necessarily a good thing though. Like I feel like some movies are really, really good at like balancing that and they lean into the tension and you're like, Ooh, this is going to be a hard movie to watch. But I feel like the white tiger was supposed to be this like fun romp. Um, or it's like social criticism disguised as a fun romp. And mm-hmm. I don't know. I, the, the combination almost worked for me, but it didn't quite land even though so many components were done so well, it just, I don't know, all the components together didn't, didn't jive with me. Yeah. And, and it's interesting to think about why certain films uh, are easier for us or have somehow made it easier for us to root for a character that is doing something wrong mm-hmm. or, yeah. or in opposition with our sense of morality. But for whatever reason, like we have, come to uh understand and feel loyalty to this character that we are rooting for i mean think about every mafia movie (laughs) we've ever watched like heck we're rooting for them to like continue to dominate and hold on to their power well at least i do um 
and it's it's fascinating the way that a film can can warp and twist our sense of what is right and what is wrong and it seems like this film wasn't able to do that fully enough for you at the end to really um root for for him and i i also feel like this film potentially also gives us a lot of time that we spend with ashok and we really experience a lot of his um his personality his his emotions his vulnerabilities with him and so i wonder if that also makes it harder to watch him um get murdered by balram by the end because we too have have come to have a somewhat of a bond with him um both both him and pinky i think we spend a lot of time with in this film and we see him in a state where his wife has left him and divorced him and he is dealing with the fallout of that and that is such a human um response and experience and we feel for that at least i did and so i think that also makes it harder whereas for example in parasite to compare it again like we don't spend that much time seeing the emotions and vulnerabilities and and complexities of mr park he's in a lot of ways a caricature and we spend a lot more time with the mother but the mother isn't the one that gets murdered at the end so some of that maybe some of that also um is is part of the 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 weird complexity of of that ending yeah i i think you're right because it it really does humanize ashok and like I really liked him. I liked spending time with him yeah. and Pinky, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. And, like, maybe it's maybe it's also just because, like, I related to Ashok and Pinky more than I did to Balram. And so, like, while I mm-hmm. felt pity or, you know, for Balram and his situation and, like, I, I wanted to figure out a way to fix it and change it, you know, I felt like... I could be friends with Pinky, you know, and I could hang out with her in a shook. And I don't know, like, mm-hmm. so maybe that was also part of it is me being a middle class American um, just felt a deeper connection with the character that's murdered. And so, mm-hmm. yeah, that that's probably definitely part of it. Yeah. So from our strategic perspective, I mean... <laughs> If I think it's I think it's really actually quite fascinating and and so uh, interesting that this film chooses to humanize um, Pinky and Ashok. I think that that contributes a lot to the uh, message of this film and and some of the complexity that it chooses to 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 create in, in its characters. Like they could have made Ashok and Pinky just like absolute assholes and yeah rude like the rest of the family, but they chose to humanize them as well. And in a lot of ways, like we're, I was rooting for Ashok to um, break away from a lot of like the, the dynamics and the family and the ways that they treat um, the people that work for them. Like you see Ashok like kind of um, wanting to break out of that, um, that dynamic and, and that like power dynamic that is being, pushed on the workers for his family and so we're like rooting for him in a lot of ways as well and so from a strategic perspective maybe it was challenging to weave in both this like humanizing lens on um this like rich son of a family and his wife and then to also have him killed at the end maybe Mm -hmm. we could have written that differently maybe kill the other his older brother mongoose yeah like i'd be totally down for that like mongoose was a jerk like yeah get rid of him but yeah i i think i i was like you i was also rooting for him to choose a different way and like for them for there to be a little bit of hope that he and pinky could be a representation of what india could become as like mm-hmm. people that like especially like i don't know i feel like there's a lot of conversation happening around you know, things like privilege and, you know, the, the different systems that exist in America and the world that, that rely on privilege. So like me as a white person, I'm trying to be more 
introspective and reflective about where I see privilege and where I have benefited from privilege and then asking like, what can I do as a solitary person to make a difference? And so I guess I hoped that Ashok and Pinky would be also doing that kind of reflective work um, and could be figuring out ways that they could use their influence, their education, their standing in society to make things better for others. But then this would be an entirely different movie because then they would be the heroes instead of Balram being the hero. So I don't know, maybe I was just trying to write a different movie (laughs) while I was watching a very, very different movie unfold. (laughs) (laughs) I love when that happens. It's so, it's so funny how, yeah, like the, the way that this plays out is just, is it's a different message and a different story than, um, what we expected. I'm thinking back to my experience with Malcolm Marie, like that is not the, the movie and the, or the ending or any of that, that I, um, wanted to see um but i think what's also interesting about the portrayals and the way that ashuk and pinky are also written is while they are um sympathetic and um beginning to break these power dynamics that exist that have been established within their families by by a you know byproduct of their own privilege there are like moments of condescension that they have towards Balram that they are likely just unaware of and are, are ignorant of. Um, and it's, it's often in those like small little moments that, uh, a lot of that is revealed and dis- and displayed. So like, you know, having him dress up, uh, for Pinky's birthday or, you know, the scene where Balram is driving and they're just like ready to go at it in the back seat. Like, there are these moments where they treat him as a an individual. Like Pinky asks him, like, "What do you want to do in your life?" But then there's also these moments where they they pretend he doesn't exist or or are downplaying just like the the presence that he has. Um, and so it's interesting the way that there were these tiny moments of that as well, where their own ignorance to their own privilege. And the way that that impacts how they treat the people around them, like Balram, is is kind of on, on full display, but in these smaller like smaller moments. So they were these really complex characters that I think were were quite were quite well written, um, and so I appreciated all all of that nuance that was woven in. Yeah, yeah, that was yeah. Nobody is a, a caricature, you know. The, the three main characters, they, they feel like real yeah. people. Um, yeah, I just, it, it just didn't quite work for me. And I, I, I wish that we could almost have explored um, that, that tension within Pinky mm. and Ashuk. And um, I don't know. I, I, again, I just, I guess I wanted a different movie than than what we got i i guess that's where i'm just landing on this is uh yeah i once we got into it i wanted a different movie Mm -hmm. (laughs) so all right that's my bad (laughs) (laughs) it's so funny when that happens though like i wonder uh this is gonna be a tangent but i just wonder like where that comes from and why that happens in some movies and not others because I've I've experienced the same thing and it's just like I don't know where I got these expectations from but I just this is not how I wanted to play out and I'm now upset (laughs) you know like psychologically like how does that happen and is there something about is it is it is it on us as the viewer bringing in just like all of our prior experiences and stuff or are more, are some films more effective at sucking us in and leading us on their story and their trajectory more so than others? Like, are there, um, is there a like uh, influence effect that a film also has that can override kind of our our preconceived notions or expectations for a film that like really allow us to be fully along for the ride 
and others are just less effective at doing that. I don't know. Yeah, I think it's both. Like, like even <laughs> um, I'm going to go back to our comparison of the white tiger and parasite, but I almost wonder like if, okay, so like in parasite, I fully felt for the family and even like the questionable morals and all of that stuff. Like I, I was in it with this family. I was rooting for them. I, I wonder if because it was in Korean, um, that helped me fully immerse myself into their world. So I wonder if the white tiger, if, yeah, if it wasn't in English, at least partly, and if Pinky and Ashok hadn't come from the States back to India, if maybe I would have felt differently about it because I would be able to fully immerse myself in their world. Mm, Interesting. I don't know, (laughs) but I think it's a, a plausible theory. That moment when having a film in a foreign language actually makes it more effective yes. and not less effective, contrary to popular belief. Yes. Yeah. I, I mean, mm. I think it's more effective 99% of the time. <laughs> popular yeah. belief is wrong. But I I do wonder how this movie would have played out if if that American aspect of it had been removed. That's interesting because a lot of their conversations with each other uh, across and all of the characters in this film are almost all in English. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but it's set in it's set in India. And, mm-hmm. mm, wow, I would have to ponder that alternate reality. Where this <laughs> film is in. Yeah, right. Huh? I hadn't thought of that, that until just now. So that's look great. at that. <laughs> Great things coming from sweet conversations, man. <laughs> We're on to something. We just – we need more data points. We'll collect more data points. We do. We do. Mm. All right. So before we wrap up, were there any other thoughts about The White Tiger? Any other last thoughts? Um, I would just like to extend a shout-out to Ava DuVernay, who is a producer of this film. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah. You go, Ava. You spend your money. You create awesome things. So I just wanted to give a shout out to her. Yeah, she's making some great decisions with her time and money. Yes. Yeah. So she's just she's just a powerhouse and it's great when she shows up. Mm. Yeah. Oh, that's so cool. Uh, I have a question. I have not seen Slumdog Millionaire. But I'm curious if you've seen that film. I also have not seen it, but okay. uh, there were a few digs at Slumdog Millionaire in this film, which I found <laughs> quite humorous. <laughs> yes. And I also learned um, in the past couple of days that Slumdog Millionaire was nominated for nine Oscars and won eight that year. And that was the film that won, took home the most number of Oscars. And it's just fascinating to me that this film is only nominated for one in comparison. I haven't seen Slumdog Millionaire, so I don't really have any ability to comment on why that might be or thoughts about that. But it is just a fascinating um, uh, data point. And I'm, I'm curious to kind of uncover like why might that be was it marketing was it um how much they campaigned for it all of that kind of stuff uh, but it's fascinating to see the the differences in kind of the the messages of the two films as well and yeah but a slumdog millionaire feels like from the plot again i haven't seen it it feels like a far more american type of film where it, it's really about uh, a truly like rags to riches story of um, luck and opportunity and the way that this this kid has this man has taken advantage of um, the opportunities laid before him and really changed his circumstances it's a very like optimistic film from what I've I've learned about it and the white tiger is kind of a scathing uh, commentary on society and it's in a lot of ways uh, very anti-american dream um, it has some of the the components of it 
of, you know, like um, using your, your cunning and your, your abilities in, in the best ways, but it takes a much darker path to um, upward mobility. And so it's just interesting. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts, um, but I, I suppose we, we may need to watch Slumdog Millionaire um, to really have a full, full, uh, full amount of thoughts on it. Yeah, I, I think you're right that it, that the plot of Slumdog Millionaire is much more appealing to an American audience. Uh, because, I mean, it, it feeds into our own mythology about America. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, yeah. I, I would be curious to maybe research Slumdog Millionaire more. I've had people telling me that I need to watch this movie for years, and I still haven't. So I don't know. <laughs> it's kind of almost this like point of pride now that I haven't seen this movie. But... <laughs> I would be interested to see even like the the people behind it. Um, mm-hmm. Is it a a primarily? I know that it's primarily Middle Eastern cast, but what about the the directors and the writers and the producers? You know, um, wh- what what did that look like? Because one of the beautiful yeah. things about the White Tiger is that you know it it takes you into a part of India that isn't pretty and we don't like to talk about, especially like here in America, we almost like worship democracy. And so the yeah. idea that the world's biggest democracy isn't this beautiful, flourishing, you know, place where people really can pull themselves up from their bootstraps. So I just, I think I would just be interested to research Slumdog Millionaire a little bit more and mm-hmm. how did this story come about and who or what was influencing it because the white tiger in some ways I would imagine feels more real even though you know the the film didn't exactly work for me um yeah I'm gonna do a little bit more research maybe yeah it has a it has a it really has taken off its rosy view of the world and taken off those glasses to um, show us the the reality that that does exist for a whole host of um, mm-hmm. the world society and communities. So, yeah, yes, it's just an interesting interesting uh, a data point and a very large chasm between the way that Slumdog Millionaire was celebrated at the American. Mm-hmm. Uh, award show and yeah you know I'm actually I appreciate it and I'm, I'm I'm surprised actually that the white tiger is is nominated um we you know we're talking about I think last week that there isn't a lot of of buzz and conversation about this film in a lot of the film world so far it really hasn't also at all uh broken through like the gone through to the masses where a lot of people um, that are potentially not just like movie nerds and watch all the Oscar nominated movies, they're not watching or talking about the white tiger yet. So mm-hmm. um, yeah. I, but I remember everyone was playing the song from the end of Slumdog Millionaire that year. Oh, I was probably living under a rock, so it's <laughs> fine. <laughs> But I I think even though like the white tiger didn't work for me, I still think that it's a really good one to watch. Like, I just I love that this year's Oscar nominees are more diverse than we've seen before. You know, Mm -hmm. we're, we're getting stories from different parts of the world, but also different parts of society and you know, some really personal stories being told. And I would throw the white tiger into that. Um, So I think it's still, even though not as good as Parasite for (laughs) sure, um, it's still a good one to to watch and kind of think through and just spend a little bit of time in this other part of the world that I had some preconceived notions about. So Mm -hmm. it's just another good little data point, like you said. Yep. We love the data points. All right. Well, this is our review and discussion of The White Tiger. Um, You can find it available to stream on Netflix. 
Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Strategic Whimsy Experiment. This podcast is fueled by our passion for stories and connection and is something we continue to do each week solely because we love it. This is our Strategic Whimsy Experiment and we encourage you to find a way to infuse a little whimsy into your day. You can subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever you tune into your favorite shows. Drop us a review letting us know your thoughts about the white tiger. You can connect with us on Instagram at Strategic Whimsy Experiment, on Twitter at Strategic Whimsy, or you can email us at strategicwhimsyexperiment at gmail.com. We will be back very soon uh, to discuss all of our Oscar predictions, our Oscar picks, and uh, kind of be getting excited for um, the Oscars, which are so, so soon. It's crazy. All right. Well, we hope you guys have an amazing week and we will see you very, very soon. Thank you.